0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Well, today, we, if you look at your handout there regarding the sermon of the day, the title of the sermon is How to Listen to a Sermon from Selected Scriptures. It's not just one Bible passage we'll look at, we'll look at several passages in the Bible. Uh, what we have been doing for the last several months as we went through Genesis chapters 1 through 3, pretty much verse by verse, uh, a beneficial, wonderful study where God taught us much from his word in Genesis 1 through 3. And now that we've finished that, before we start another book to go through chapter by chapter, it's a good opportunity just to stop, pause, pray, and think about maybe there are other pressing topics that we need to know about With respect to what is God's opinion of that matter or something that would be helpful for us. So over the next few weeks, I did want to take an opportunity just to do different subjects, various ones uh, that are impressed upon my heart as I pray, but also hear from you as our congregation. And also what's going on, maybe there's stuff going on in the world that we need to hear about from God's point of view. And I know right now there is from very significant developments and issues that God's word speaks to, and we're going to be hearing about those. So we started this variety of topics last week for those of you who weren't here we had communion so we looked at the Passover and we spent the whole hour looking at the original Passover that God gave Moses and how that was the foundation and uh, really to communion and the meaning of it uh, and how the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the Passover so that was our study last week today we're looking at a topic called how to listen to a sermon in the next couple weeks we'll be looking at a couple of other different topics as well. If God impresses a topic of interest on your heart, don't hesitate to let me know. So we can think that through and see if we can address it from a biblical point of view. So some of you may have looked at the title and thought, How to listen to a sermon? Is that really the title of today's sermon? Is this a, a joke? Is that a trick question? <laughs> so no it actually really is. How to listen to a sermon uh, is the topic that I wanted to cover today. And Spending a lot of time studying, thinking, doing some research, those kind of things. It's going to take more than one sermon. So we'll have part one today. So how to listen to a sermon, part one today. And then next week, how to listen to a sermon, part two. Um, I did want to make a distinction before I go on here. It's how to listen to a sermon, which is very different than, listen carefully, how to critique a sermon. Or how to, a little less negative, how to evaluate a sermon. How to criticize a sermon, how to critique a sermon, how to evaluate a sermon. Very different than how to listen to a sermon. Uh, We were talking as staff this week, some of the elders getting their input, staff guys, and uh, one of our elders who's actually highly trained in preaching heard the title of the sermon and said, wow, evaluating sermons is very difficult, that's hard. That's from a, prof- a, a trained, specialized professional, and he was right. How to evaluate and critique a sermon is, is more difficult than you would think. That's different than how to listen to a sermon. Uh, I know that evaluating and critiquing objectively a sermon is very difficult because that's what I do for a living. I'm not, in addition to being a pastor here, I teach at a seminary and have for the last... 14 years and one of my jobs one of the classes that i help with is preaching or homiletics class and in there you have and most of the students that i have for the last 14 years they're not want to be pastors they already are pastors some of these guys are older than me some of them actually been serving in ministry longer than i have they're taking these classes and they're sitting under my teaching and tutelage as a preacher and subjecting themselves to my critique of their sermon and their how they preach And in those homiletics and preaching classes, as the professor, you can't just do it willy-nilly when they get up to preach. You have to evaluate their sermon, and you can't just say, oh, I don't like it. Ah, it didn't give me the warm fuzzies. Ah, it rubbed me the wrong way. Did you take a shower this morning? Yeah, those are illegitimate. So as a to be helpful for them, you have to have an objective grid, an objective standard, you have to have many data points by which to evaluate their sermon to be fair to them and to help them. And to be a, a fair, balanced, objective, godly evaluator of sermons that are being preached by men, because they spend a lot of time preparing, even praying through, when they have to preach their sermons at seminary in the homiletics and preaching classes, and you evaluate In fairness to them, it has to be comprehensive, it has to be holistic, it has to be thorough. And after they preach a 30-minute sermon or a 40-minute sermon, you can't just say one thing, I didn't like it. That's totally illegitimate. It's unfair to them. It's not even objective. Um, So there are wrong ways to make evaluations. Um, So like I said, there are many data points. So the, the sheets, we have these objective sheets by which we evaluate sermons in preaching class at our seminary and there's about 25 different data points and categories by which to evaluate their sermon. And it's not just on the presentation. As a matter of fact, the majority of the emphasis in evaluating their sermon is on the content of their sermon. Their exegesis they put in prior to preaching the sermon, that's also examined and evaluated. So there's a big emphasis on their preparation their exegesis, and the content. A minimal amount is on their delivery because that is secondary. Because their delivery could be personality, could be idiosyncrasies that really aren't important. Did you know the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest preachers of all, he had annoying idiosyncrasies that bothered people. Some people said he was ugly. We pick up in Galatians 6, small in stature, unconvincing, not eloquent like Apollos, and on and on it goes. Those are illegitimate criticisms. So that's why we've got to put the emphasis in the right place in our evaluation. So very important to make that distinction. Um, so we're going to talk more about that. Um, another illegitimate thing is I didn't, Oh, <laughs> probably the number one illegitimate of a criticism of a sermon i'm not just talking about my sermon today by the way how to listen to a sermon this isn't how to listen to pastor cliff's sermon this is how to listen to any biblical sermon and not just the sermon it could be the sunday school class here like when you go and you listen to jr or steven salinas or bob anybody in the sunday school class or Derek and his sunday school class or the youth group so teenagers if you're here today when you go to youth group and austin's teaching this is the same, these principles apply to that so it's not just sermon here or when you go to another church Or when you listen to a sermon on the radio, that's what I'm getting at here. How to listen to a sermon. Very, very important. In light of that, here's four important questions before we get started. Just to kind of help you think this through. Question number one, what do you do just before the sermon begins? Assuming you're a regular churchgoer and you listen to sermons uh, weekly, what do you do just before the sermon begins, just as the sermon is getting ready? What do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of different... Are you preparing yourself at all, or is it? Do you, are you in a flippant routine? Do you take it seriously to get your Bible out? You're ready to go. You're focusing on God. You're talking to the Spirit in your heart. Lord. Te- so there's a lot of different ways you can respond just prior to the sermon. So that's number one. What do you do just before the sermon begins? Number two, what do you do during the sermon? What do you actually do? Are you paying attention? Are you focused? Are you talking to God? Are you asking for the Spirit's help? Are you... Uh, looking at your surroundings. Are you distracted by the paint job? Racially listening to the preacher. Do you look at the preacher? Do you look at your Bible? What are your habits? Do you doodle? Do you take notes? Do you sit like this? Not that this is bad. We used to have somebody, a member at our church at GBF, like the front row every week, like this. And half the time his eyes were closed. So I finally went up, had to go, what, uh, were you sleeping? No! I heard every word you said. Go ahead, quiz me on your sermon, Pastor Cliff. I'll answer any question. That's how I do focused listening. It's like, oh, okay, that's good to know. And I believed him because it was true. But what are you doing during the sermon? A lot of options. Number three, what do you do one hour after you hear a sermon? On a regular route? I mean, have you even thought about it? Forget it. Apply it. Think about it. Criticize it. And then number four, what do you do five days after the sermon? So these are really important. So we're actually going to look at scriptures that are going to help us think through those questions in a very practical way on not how to criticize a sermon or evaluate a sermon. Evaluating a sermon is totally legit. We're also going to talk a little bit about that. But the emphasis here is on how to listen to a sermon. So how did I come up with this topic? Well, a couple of different ways. The first sermon I ever preached in a church was in 1989. My first official full-fledged sermon. That was 30 years ago. Time has flown by. And in 30 years of preaching and teaching, I have never preached a sermon on how to listen to a sermon. As a matter of fact, I never really considered it. But recently, I came across a helpful book. Actually, I came across this helpful book about nine years ago it's called expository listening it's little i used to have it available in the lobby on the book cart, but i never read it even though i had it available the reason i had it out there is because it's written by a friend of mine pastor ken i went to college and seminary with pastor ken we were the same age we stayed in contact 20 years ago i was a youth pastor austin i was a youth pastor those were the glory days i was a youth pastor back when i was a youth pastor i had a youth camp and I would try to invite a, a guest speaker over here. And so I invited 20 years ago, Pastor Ken to come. This was down in Texas. Pastor came, Ken, Ken preached for three days, did a fantastic job. He was at a new church at the time and he was under duress because he had been there less than a year. And he said, uh, Cliff, I think I'm going to get fired. I think I'm going to get booted out of this church. They're going to chase me out of the church. I said, why is that? Well, half the congregation or really not even half the congregation, but the influential movers and shakers of the church. They don't like my preaching. And there's uh, rising resentment and animosity towards me, and it's becoming palatable. It's, it's just blatantly obvious, and I don't think I'm going to last there long. Well, what's the problem? I don't know. I'm just preaching the Bible. I just, the way I was trained, I'm going through the book of James, bottom line clip. I don't think they like the Bible. They don't like expository preaching. It's foreign to them. They said it's new. And the book of James, they don't like the content of it, and they're offended just by the Bible. That's as much as I can pick up at this point. And I believe Pastor Ken. There were some people in the congregation who appreciated the preaching and loved the word of god but he was clearly like i said under duress and stressed and it was weighing heavily upon him and his wife at the time and i just encouraged the man stay just stay faithful brother keep keep preaching and uh he did not well he was right eventually the prophecy was fulfilled and he got run out of the church and his sin preaching the bible with courage and authority really he recounts it here. Listen to this. I'll never forget one Sunday. and he's, So this book was written in 2010. It's a great little book. I encourage you to get it. Expository listening. He wrote it in 2010. He's looking back at when this happened. This happened, like I said, 20 years ago when he was visiting me, when he was at this new church. I'll never forget one Sunday when I was standing by the back door greeting people as they left. That's always risky as a pastor, greeting people as they leave. But anyway. Someone came up to me and enthusiastically reached out and grabbed my hand and said, that was the best sermon I have ever heard. And they meant it. At that very same moment, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a group of disgruntled folks huddled in the corner of the foyer who, according to what was reported to me later, were discussing how that was, quote, the worst sermon they had ever heard. Hmm, That's interesting. Same preacher, same sermon, same day, same topic, same Bible, same congregation, two responses. Totally opposed to one another. That was the greatest sermon I'd ever heard. That was the worst sermon I'd ever heard. Well, if you've been a pastor and if you've been preaching for any amount of time, you can sympathize with that story. That resonates with you because that's just the reality of being a pastor on a regular basis, preaching from the pulpit. I mean, if you think about it, pastors... Again, not just me, just pastors and preachers who preach regularly. Subject themselves to ongoing corporate criticism, it's kind of like the preacher stands up there and is like a contestant on American Idol, and you got this panel of judges and they're just critiquing everything about you. And it's not just three judges, it's like a 100 judges, 200 judges, or you got a church of 500 people, it's 500 judges, church of 1,000, you got a 1,000 judges. If you're on the radio, it's a million judges. Can you imagine? Of the amount of possible and potential ongoing feedback that you're getting not just encouragement but also criticism wow how do you deal with all that so it was going through this book recently and uh ken i was just pricked in the heart that you know this is good we need to think about this i've never preached on it our congregation needs to hear about this we need to be taught on how to listen to a sermon we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well Uh, the title i came up with how to listen to a sermon i thought it was new and unique and creative on my part but it isn't i went on amazon there's several books written called how to listen to a sermon lo and behold one of our own pastors Derek brown two years ago checked out four years ago wrote a blog on his blog site called how to listen to a sermon and he emailed that to me this week it was very it was short but it was excellent and i'm actually gonna take some of the points that Derek summarized there so we can look at those from scripture so This is all just kind of prelude of what we're going to look at today. Very, very important that we do this. Um, We need to know how to listen to a sermon. A couple of references here. It was three years ago at a shepherd's conference down in Southern California, Grace Community Church, where, you know, 3,500 men gathered. They're not all pastors. That's probably say 60% of them are pastors, and the rest are just either servants in the church or people who like to listen to sermons or people who like John MacArthur, um, and the, the men gather, and John MacArthur opened up in his first sermon of the week, and he made a startling statement. And it was this, it was on preaching, and he, regarding his own preaching, and what is his goal in preaching? <laughs> and here's what he said. I want people to leave with more questions than they had before the sermon. That kind of shook me at first. I was like, whoa, did he just say that? And then I thought about it. I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. What does that mean? Well, one of the things he's trying to do is open up God's word, explain it, and cause you to think. Cause you to think maybe in a way you weren't thinking. So it is not uncommon. It's not unhealthy. It's not wrong if you walk away from a sermon either frustrated or thinking, wow, I've got more questions now than I did when it started. That's good. The word of God is living and active. God uses that. Those are his thoughts, and he wants to engage and interact with our thoughts. We better be thinking. We should be asking questions. Here's another quote that John MacArthur came up with regarding his preaching that resonated with me, and it was he was on the Ben Shapiro show about a month ago for a one-hour-long interview. Many of you saw that. And at the very end, he talked about his job as a preacher or a pastor. What do you do? And he, he proclaims the gospel. And then he was asked, well, don't people get offended by what you say? Every once in a while? And he said, no, not every once in a while, all the time. Quote, it's my job to offend people. That's what I do for a living, end quote. Why is that? Then he wanted to explain because he preaches the Bible, the gospel. The gospel is offensive to people. Biblical truth is offensive to sinners. It goes against the grain by nature. So we need to remember that dynamic as well. So this is all preparatory to... The seven points that I have, we're not going to get through all seven, but let's just go ahead and break it down and then we'll pick up the rest next week. And hopefully it's practical. It's helpful. And as a result, we all become better listeners. This was a good exercise for me because I need to be reminded of how to be a better listener of sermons. You know who the worst people are, the worst Christians are at listening sermons? The worst. Seminary students. And the guys that go to the shepherds conference. Which includes me, because we do we just break golden rule number one. We hear it. Five sermons, then we go sit down at lunch. Okay, who's your favorite preacher so far this week? Everybody asked, and then we rank them all. Yeah, he was best. Was, I mean, it's like, and that's contrary to everything. i want to say you shouldn't be doing that. So it's kind of ironic that pastors do that. We get caught up in that. That isn't how it should be. It's like what word of God was communicated and how do I apply it to my life? So let's go ahead and look at presuppositions before we do anything in terms of getting into specifics because we're talking about preaching, the preaching of the word of God the Bible. Uh, Here are presuppositions. I've got seven of them real quick. Presupposition number one is we're talking about how to listen to a sermon is that we believe here at Grace Bible Fellowship and in the Bible that preaching and teaching is the main ministry in the church. What should a church be doing? You're looking for a church. The main thing you're looking for in a church is the preaching and teaching ministry. That is foremost. It's not music. It's not their programs. It's not the entertainment. It's not how they take care of kids, although those are all important it is what is the nature of the preaching and teaching ministry, and what is their view on preaching the Bible and the word of god i didn 't make that up that 's all over the Bible. That was the summary of jesus 's ministry. Jesus came, served for three and a half years, he was God in the flesh he ministered. In obedience to the Father, what was the main thing Jesus did? He didn't come to eradicate poverty and be a social worker. He didn't come primarily to do miracles. Those were secondary. He said that. He didn't come to write books. He came to do one thing, and that was to preach. He came to preach the gospel, preach the good news, preach the truth of God. And that's how Mark summarizes the very ministry of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus came preaching the gospel. Priority number one, that's what he came to do. His name was Rabbi people called him that he welcomed that term what is rabbi rabbi is teacher preacher and that's true in the church that's what jesus and god called his apostles to do that's the main ministry preaching and teaching number 2 our teaching informs all other ministries in the church 2 timothy 3:16 and 17 so that's why preaching and teaching and it's not just preaching from the pulpit it's teaching how we teaching in sunday school classes teaching in bible studies teaching the main ministry and it informs everything else how we teach and what we believe about the bible informs our prayer ministry our evangelism ministry our women's ministry our men's ministry our youth ministry our nursery it our giving our stewardship how we handle the funds and the finances what we think about buildings programs that is all informed by our teaching number three even if you're a church that say there, there are plenty of churches who don't agree with me on point number one. They don't believe that preaching and teaching is the main ministry in the church. Well, how did they come to that conclusion? They came to that conclusion by point number two, because their teaching informed they don't believe in number one, which is ironic. We don't believe teaching is the most important thing because the Bible says, according to its teaching, that it's not the most important thing. Number three, God speaks to us through his word, scripture, the Bible. God doesn't speak to us in dreams or in visions today. You can have a dream about God and Jesus, but that wasn't God talking to you. It was just a dream. God speaks to us through his word, through scripture. He told us so. Hebrews 1 is clear. Jesus made it clear. That's why God wrote it down for us. So literally, when we go to the book, to the Bible, open it up and read it, God is speaking to us, if we're listening, with the aid of the Holy Spirit who helps us understand it. This is how God speaks to us today. That's by his design, through scripture and through it being preached and taught. God speaks to us through his word. Number four, God enables us to understand, and we can actually understand scripture. God wants us to. How do we do it? Primarily through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God gave his Holy Spirit to live inside the believer to help us understand scripture. It's the only way that we can really do it. Number five, God expects us to obey what we hear from the Bible. James 1.22, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. That means when you hear the word of God taught in a Sunday school Bible study. Counseling session from the pulpit on the radio. At a conference and the Bible was actually opened and the Bible was actually read and taught and the Bible was actually explained. Regardless of how the quality of it was, the word of God went out as Christians. From God's point of view, we have one obligation. James 122. Be a doer of the word, not merely a hearer only. Deuteronomy 30, I put on there a beautiful passage. Same thing. God gives the word of God to Moses. Moses preaches to the crowd. And when Moses is done, he says, okay, now I just preached God's truth. Here's your responsibility. I have preached to you. I have given you life and death today. I have given you life and death. What does that mean? I just preached to you the word of God. And depending upon how you respond to it, whether you ignore it, you harden your heart, you don't want to listen, you want to criticize it. Judgment comes, but if you want to personalize it, assimilate it, understand it, believe it, live by it, obey, submit to it, God will bless you as a result. That's Deuteronomy 30. And that's an expectation from God. That's a command for Christians in James 1.22. It's not an option. It is a command. It's an imperative. If we don't do it, we are in sin. God expects us to obey what we hear from the Bible. I, As I thought about it this week, I thought, let's see, have I ever been taught how to listen to a sermon i think the closest thing was when i was in seminary 30 years ago one of the most respected professors dr james Roscup, he was one of my heroes he was the most educated of all of our professors there and during, we had chapel twice a week and every chapel no once a week and every chapel he had his bible open didn't matter who was preaching it could be uh john macarthur it could be somebody else it could be one of the students from the seminary Who's still green. And there's Dr. Roscoe with his notes and just feverishly taking notes with his Bible open. And then finally in, in class, somebody asked him about it. What are you doing? I said, well, every time the word of God is open, I'm taking notes. I want to learn from the Bible. I don't care who it is. Because if the word of God comes out of their mouth, I can learn. And at least when they open the Bible, even if what they're saying isn't true, I can learn from the passage that they're in by reading it and ask the Holy Spirit to teach me. Priority number one, I'll never forget it. It was a rebuke to us seminary students. That needs to be our attitude. Number six, the more we hear of the Bible, the more accountable we are on judgment day. That's a dangerous and scary thing for Christians. We need to take it seriously. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much shall be required. James gives a warning about the amassing and accumulation of biblical knowledge. And how we become accountable with more knowledge that we hear so we better be doing the right thing when we hear a sermon what what's the bait if you could boil it all down what what are we supposed to do when we hear a sermon really according to god's point of view what are we supposed to do well i'll tell you and then we'll unpack this i hear a sermon and this all comes right out of scripture first thing i'm supposed to do is listen do you know you can sit there and not listen you can be distracted, you could be mad at the preacher, upset with the preacher, uh, whatever, and just say, oh, I'm not going to listen. But God says over and over again, you need to listen. You didn't listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. The book of Proverbs is pleading. First nine chapters, listen, listen, listen to the word of God. Listen, open up your ears. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, step number one, listen, then understand, then Believe, then discern, and then obey. Those are the specific imperatives. We're going to look at verses that are given regarding listening to a sermon. Listen, understand, believe, discern. Those three in the middle overlap. Understand, believe, and discern. Leading to obedience. Number seven. We are assuming the preacher in this whole two Sundays, today and next week, as I'm talking about how to listen to a sermon for all of us. Because I have to take all this to heart. When I go to the Shepherds Conference for the 25th time, because I went there when I was in college at Masters, I had to go there when I was a seminary student. And you have like 15 different preachers all week 15 different you sit there and you listen to five sermons that are an hour and 10 minutes long all day that's hard work that that's tiring you can get a a cold heart so this is a challenge number seven we are assuming that the preacher is not a heretic and we are also assuming that the listeners are believers so this is kind of an in-house talk among ourselves how do what do you do when you have a heretic that's a totally different sermon we're just talking about Christians, Christian preachers. Whoever's up in this pulpit, which changes from time to time. Okay, that's those are our presuppositions. Now, considerations, special considerations. They're very important to lay the groundwork. Number one, I don't know if you've thought about this, but preaching is a two-party venture. Because well, when we think about preaching, we usually think of just the preacher, right? That's only half the picture. Uh, preaching is a two-party venture. The preacher and the listener, those are the 2 parts. You got the preacher, you got the listener. Often we don't think about the listener, their responsibilities. The preacher, we expect the preacher to be trained, precise, studied up, prayerful, having a moral, godly life. All these expectations. That's legit. Well, what about the listener? Any expectations? Should there be? We don't think about it much. But preaching is a two-party venture, the preacher and the listener. So both parties need to be deliberate proactive proactive in your listening imagine that concept not not a passive listener as americans we've been trained to be passive listeners passive spectators we go to a football game and we sit in the stands and eat our popcorn and watch and entertain we don't have to think just enjoy and be entertained then when it's over that's done going to my next thing we go to a movie same thing passive entertainers passive listeners very different from being a congregant listening to the word of God being taught. So both parties, the preacher and the listener, have to be deliberate. We have to be pri- That's why for 14 years, one of the reasons why I've been putting out notes with outlines for people, because some people ask for that. It helps them. And a lot of people take advantage of it, particularly our kids learn how to take notes. They learn how to be deliberate. The reason I did, I got that from my seminary professor. If it's good enough for him, uh, I guess it's good enough for me. But it's one way to be proactive and deliberate in taking notes and listening. Proactive listening. Very important. And also, not just the preacher needs to be trained, but the listeners need to be trained as well. And the Bible is our manual for training us. Number two, the preacher needs a biblical theology of preaching. And there is one. I teach it at our seminary. I was taught it by other godly men who are experienced preachers. That's where I learned. It's in the Bible. The Bible has a theology of preaching get this the listener of the congregant needs a biblical theology of listening you ever thought of that if i were to ask you what's your uh what's your theology of listening most people say what 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 are you talking about what's that pastor ken comes up the word audiology audio to listen ology the study of that's what theologians do they make up words audiology the study of the theology of listening according to the bible (laughs) i actually like that word Audiology. what's your audiology so we are proposing, we want to develop a biblical audiology, how to listen to a sermon. And then consideration number three, this is a good illustration. The preacher is like the pitcher, warming up, and the listener is the catcher. It's a beautiful illustration. And the pitcher and the catcher, they have to be in sync. They have to be on the same page. They have to know each other. They have to trust each other. They have to understand the signals. They've got to have good honest communication they have to have an open relationship there has to be freedom there to express one another between one another they complement one another everything about that illustration is just a beautiful example of the preacher and the listener at least ideally the way it should be i take that from pastor ken i thought that was powerful simple yet profound let's go on to number three that i call dynamics dynamics in this whole issue of talking about how to listen to a sermon and the problems that attend with it. And I do that by asking a question, who is the problem? When it comes to sermons and listening to sermons, who is the problem? The preacher or you? What do do I mean by who's the problem? Well, I just read you from Pastor Ken's real-life scenario where he preached a sermon and he got two antithetical responses, greatest sermon ever, worst sermon ever. Just because some people said it was the worst sermon ever, was it truly the worst sermon ever? Or is there another option? Is the problem truly just always with the preacher? Or could it be the people that were listening? Could it be a problem with their heart? That's what I'm getting at. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Look at Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I'll just read it. If I were to ask you, Without looking, when was the first sermon Jesus ever preached? Okay, he got baptized at age 30, then he began his ministry. What was the first sermon we know that he ever preached? A formal sermon. Well, it was in a synagogue in his hometown. He did it as a Jewish rabbi. And he went informally to preach the word of God. He was given the scroll of Isaiah. He opened up the scroll. He read the scroll. He closed the scroll. And then he gave preaching and commentary on the word of God to his listeners. The listeners in the audience were those who proposed to love God, to love Yahweh, to love the word of God, to welcome biblical preaching. Did they? Well, listen to Luke 4. Kind of interesting. So he's preaching in Nazareth. Uh, verse 22 of Luke 4 says, and so Jesus opens up the scripture, makes some comments, and then he had been preaching. He said more than this because Luke tells us. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words with which were falling from his lips. He was waxing eloquent. This is Jesus, the Messiah. First sermon ever, debut of the preaching ministry. And it started out well. It's going good. They were in wonder, is the Greek word. At his amazing teaching, his gracious words. They were speaking well. Oh, this preacher, oh, he's wonderful. Oh, he's my new favorite. Wondering at the gracious words that were falling from his lips. So this is a sermon, full-fledged sermon. And then, well, they, that's what their preliminary response was. But then the problem was Jesus kept talking. That was the problem. And that's verses 23 all the way up to 28 when, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did he just say? I don't know about that. I take that back. He's not my favorite preacher anymore. So much so. First, it says all were speaking well of him. Verse 22 and then verse 28. It says all changed their mind. All were filled with rage at the things they heard. You talk about a fickle congregant. Or congregation filled with rage as he spoke these things. So they didn't like what he said. They didn't like. So that's your gauge. Whether a sermon is a good sermon or not, whether it's a good preacher or not, it's how you feel about it or whether you like it or not or whether i agree with it or not that is not my gauge i hear sermons sometimes that actually i don't agree with that or ooh that makes me mad or that's convicting Ooh that makes me feel guilty you know that sometimes that's a good thing that's god speaking to me mcmanus you need to fix this it's not our gauge so what do they do well they hated jesus's preaching So they literally got up in the middle of his sermon and threw him out of the synagogue, dragged him to a hillside, and proceeded to try to throw him over the cliff, kill him on the spot for his preaching. That's Jesus. So if your gauge of a sermon or the preacher is whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether it makes you feel good or not, whether it makes you happy or not, whether it gives you the warm fuzzies or not, That's totally illegitimate. Jesus is prime example, number one. I could give you many. We could go (laughs) through the book of John every chapter and see that about Jesus. You know, just about every chapter, Jesus gets in a fight with somebody. Why? Over his teaching. Read it that way next time when you go through the book of John. It's like amazing. Okay, let's look one example from the greatest, aside from Jesus, the greatest pastor, the greatest preacher there ever was. We would all have to say, man, that was Paul. Yes, he was. He'd get my vote, go to Acts chapter 17. We could have gone into Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 16 to give the same example, but that would be redundant. But here's one of the best ones in Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul, he's going around, he's preaching, he's planning churches. He goes into uh, synagogues and he preaches. The synagogue is supposed to be a ready, welcomed audience. They believe in Yahweh. They love the Bible. They love Hebrew scripture. They love the Old Testament. That's what Paul specializes in. He's a preacher of the Hebrew Old Testament. So he goes in there and they should be receptive. They should be excited. This guy's an apostle. He's from God. Amen. Let him preach. Give him another hour. Let him come back next Saturday. That is not the response Paul gets time and time again. In Acts 17 is where he's actually this time preaching to. And then he gets chased out of synagogue. So then he goes, okay, fine, I'll go to the Gentiles. I'll go to the Greeks and preach to them. So he preaches this amazing sermon in Acts chapter 17, where he concludes by giving the gospel. Verse 28, here's how he was preaching. Uh, but Paul cried out with a loud voice. Uh, and then he goes on verse, oh, sorry, Acts chapter 17. He's preaching to Gentiles. And then he starts about who God is. Then he specifies more specifically. Then he finally gives the gospel about who Jesus Christ is. And here's how he concludes his Sermon in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all people everywhere that they should repent, turn from your sin. That makes people mad. Human beings do not like to be told that they are sinful, wicked to the core and need to turn from their sin. That is offensive. But it's the truth. That's the message I heard for the first time when I was 17 by someone who had become my brother-in-law. And I remember, I remember when he told me that. My response was interesting in my heart. It made me mad. I wanted nothing to do with his religion. And at the same time, I knew it was true. And I resisted with a stiff arm for two years. And this was Paul's message. You need to repent. That's the bad news. There's good news, though. Verse 31, because God is fixed today... When he will judge the world, he'll also save the world in righteousness through a man. He's Jesus, the Savior. Whom God the Father has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. That's his sermon. Well, let's see how the crowd responds to Paul's sermon. You would imagine, boy, if I could only hear Paul preach live, that'd be awesome to be in the audience of the Apostle Paul preaching, man. I would just lap it up. I would love it. No, you wouldn't not necessarily because here was a crowd of people these people specialized in listening to things by the way here's how they responded verse 32 now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead what paul had been preaching they began to here's the first response there were some in the crowd that began to sneer they mocked what the preacher said oh i don't believe that that's ridiculous That was the first response. But that wasn't the only response. There were others that responded in a different way in the congregation. Others said, well, we shall hear of you again concerning this. Oh, this is interesting. This is fascinating. I am intrigued by that. You've said some very stimulating things today. You know what? I'd like to hear again maybe someday. Maybe I'll come back in a couple of months. We have that all the time. So today when people hear the word of God, we have people who sneer and mock it, make fun of it. We also have people who are kind of intrigued and, oh, okay, oh, hmm, yeah, interesting. Probably it's good for you. Yeah, it's interesting to me, but it's probably good for you. That's, I'm glad you like it. But here's the third response. So Paul went out of their midst and get this. Verse 34, some joined him and believed. Isn't that awesome? Some joined him and believed. So from the same preacher, same sermon, same Bible, same crowd, there wasn't a uniform response. There was at least a threefold response right here. Sneering, intrigue, and belief. Is that based on Paul's rhetoric, uh, skills in rhetoric? No. Or his delivery? No. His idiosyncrasies? No. The tone of his voice, no. The volume at which he preached, no. The rate and pace of his words, no. The scenery, the environment, no. Their different responses were based on the truth that was proclaimed and their heart. Bottom line, it's their heart. That's probably one of the main truths we're going to learn and be reminded of from Scripture. When it comes to how to listen to a sermon, the way we've got to make sure we've got the right heart. We've got to prepare our hearts. That's what it really comes down to. I don't have time to do it, but I'll just remind you because it's a familiar story. In Luke, um, or Matthew and Mark give us, Jesus tells a parable of the four soils, Matthew 13 and Mark 4. Remember that story? And Jesus told them a parable. It says the sower went out to sow seed, and he's just chucking seed. He's got a big old basket of seed, and he's throwing it like this as he walks up and down all over the plot of ground. And the seed is just flying everywhere. And some seed flies over on The sidewalk where people walk on the dirt path. And then some of the seed lands on the shallow dirt and underneath is just bedrock, limestone over there in Israel. But it's got like two inches of dirt on top of it. So some of the seed lands there. Then some of the seed uh, lands under, around the thorns and the thistles that are growing. And then there's the prepared soil kind of in the middle that's ideal for plants and a bunch of seed goes there. And then the seeds sprout. And four different results occur. And Jesus tells the parable about that. Uh, The first three places where the seed was planted over on the walking path and then where the limestone was, where there's the shallow dirt and then the thorns and the thistles, the seed sprouts. It perks out of the ground and it looks like, oh, a plant, it's growing. Awesome. But then quickly, all three of those, they wither and die for different reasons. Different reasons. Then on the good soil, the plant grows up, and it keeps growing. It thrives. It's luscious. It produces fruit of all kind. So one out of four. And then Jesus explains, well, what's this all about? Well, the one sowing the seed is the preacher. That's the preacher, the Bible teacher. The four different soils represent people with four different hearts. Bottom line, is your heart receptive to the truth of the word of God or not? The first roadside, kind of critical. Don't want anything to do with that. Second was a superficial, oh, I love it. Bring it on, and then quickly they pass away. The third one, they welcome the word of God, but then the trials of life choke them out. On the fourth seed, it says they heard the word of God, they welcomed the word of God, they understood the word of God, they believed the word of God. They were true believers, they produced fruit. And it was all the condition of their hearts. So that's our challenge. Priority number one when it comes to listening to a sermon the right way in a way that honors God is do we know the condition of our heart as we're listening to the Word of God? Can we get behind the facade of the preacher and his personality and everything that goes with that to the meat of the Word and the milk of the Word that's the living Word of God that's being communicated through broken, frail, finite vessels called bible teachers that we might clearly welcome the word of god receive the word of god into our heart meditate on it let it feed our soul ask god to help us understand it ask god to help us apply it to our life be willing to be rebuked by it changed by it convicted by it submit to it because that pleases god that honors god god will bless you as a result If you do, if I do, that's the challenge. That's the goal. Well, with that, I'm going to save the rest for next Sunday and we'll finish our next few points. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we'll just be reminded of these wonderful and great principles that are so basic because that's what we do. If you think about the church service, it's an hour and a half and most of it's taken up by that preacher guy. So that's the main thing we do. We should be educated as The best is possible from the word of God to maximize our time and also do what pleases God most, not just for his glory. That's the most important thing, but also for our good. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the Lord's Day. To gather with the saints, fellow believers, to worship you in so many different ways. And also, we thank you for the treasure of your word, the Bible the gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us understand it. Thank you for all of our faithful Bible teachers that we have here at our local church. In the nursery, as I saw someone teaching a young two-year-old biblical truth out of a book with pictures, our youth teachers, and at every other level, our Bible study teachers, all of our elders, and anybody here that handles the Word of God, continue to bless their ministry. Help us all grow from the Word of God. And Lord, with your help and your Holy Spirit, help us to become better, obedient listeners of your Word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650 630 Zero 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 nine.